You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Today's message, I'm going to share not only today, but I've asked Pastor Lisa to do the second part of this next week. And the reason is this. Uh, This two-part message is going to have to do with the direction and the vision of the church. We've had a number of people who have joined our church this past season, even though of all the restrictions, the COVIDs, and all the challenges. And one of the things that uh, I'm going to share today is why we are doing what we do, how we do it, and and what what it's designed to accomplish and so uh, I hope you understand we're going to look at some, many of you have been a part of the bridge, you're not going to hear much of anything today that you haven't heard before, but I promise you'll be reminded because you probably forgot a few things. Oh, don't act like you remember everything that comes your direction. But anyway, it has to do with what the bridge exists to do. And so we're going to read a series of three scriptures uh, related to this. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word? And the theme of this is focus to thrive, because that's our goal. We want you to thrive. And I'm going to share a little bit of why that is and how that is accomplished. So three verses, Habakkuk 2.2, let's begin there. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Then Proverbs 29.18, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. And then Proverbs 19, verse 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now, God, I ask that as we look at the word and study it, it would help us to know how to grow and to develop and why it is important for us to to reach the potential that you've put inside of us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would bring clarity. I pray for understanding. And I also pray, God, for motivation and excitement about what activity you want to send through our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be seated. So the verses that we read have three things that I want us to just to take quick note of. And it's this. Number one, it says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. There are a lot of things that we hear, a lot of things that we can see that motivate us, but I don't have time to break down the brain science, but there's another dimension of our brain that is accessed when we write it down. In other words, it goes beyond just seeing it and hearing it. When we write it down, it it makes it more clear, and it also serves as a point where we can look back and not have our mind twist or play tricks on what we thought we remember, because it's written down, it's very clear. It brings understanding. The second thing it says there, where there's no revelation, uh, people cast off restraint. It's important that people know where you're going, why you're going there, 
Not because, they, not because they're not supportive. They want to. But sometimes people just fall off the, the trail of life because they simply, nobody's told them where things are going, how it's going to get there. We are a culture of people who wants to know the when, the where, the why, and the how. And in order for there to have buy-in and excitement, those things have to be answered. And then the other thing, it says this. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So the other part of this is this. This is not what I'm going to say, Pastor Greg parachuting his vision in. I want to show you that a lot of what we're doing is based on the scripture. Now, I know that other churches would apply some of these same scriptures in a different way. So that's the difference between exegeting culture or scripture and exegeting culture. I get that. So I'm not here to say my way or the highway. I'm just going to say, based on who we are, this is how we see these scriptures being played out. But the vision of our, st- our church is this. You probably have seen it on the sign when you've left the church. You, you see it on the website. And everybody read, TBCC is the Bridge Community Church. Sometimes when you put the Bridge Community Church, it takes up two lines. It's just easier to go TBCC, okay? So everybody read that with me. Connecting people one another and the marketplace. Connecting people to God, one another and the marketplace. I'm going to be sharing on connecting to God and connecting to the marketplace today. I've asked Pastor Lisa to talk about connecting to one another next week. There's nothing really uh, different about this statement other than that last one. I've oftentimes had people say, man, what's going on at that church? Uh, how are you doing? Who's your target audience? How are you? They're always asking for the, the methods, the, 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 the intentions, the plans. And most of the time they're saying, well, who's your target audience? You know, you're, like, you're going for the middle class, you're going for the professional, you're going for this, you're going for that. I said, oh, yeah, I can summarize exactly who our target is. And they go, who is it? I go, people who breathe. And it's just, you know, if you breathe, we're interested in you. Okay? We don't have a slice of culture that we're pursuing. We are pursuing culture as a whole. We want to reach any segment of society because we believe there's hope for any segment of society. Amen? But the other thing that comes up is this, this thing about the marketplace. Why is that? Nobody. Most of the time people go, yeah, I get the connecting to God, connecting with one another. Where's this marketplace idea come from? And I say this, because our goal is this, is to equip you for life. You understand? They equip you for life. I said churches are notorious for having so much activity that they expect everybody to be at. By the time they're involved in all those activities, they have no time to be salt and light on Main Street. There's no time to connect to people. And I said, so we try to strike a balance that while we have a lot of diversity of ministry here, we don't say, find six connection groups. No, go well because you got six. You got seven nights. We're going to take six of them, and then the seventh one you can rest. No, 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 no. We're saying find one that ministers to you. But really, let me say this: has the ability maybe to minister through you because you could be somebody's miracle one day. And so we talk about we want to help people to grow, develop, and thrive. And so we're going to break these down in a little bit so you can see where our scriptural basis and our motivation comes. So let's first of all go to this. Number one, everybody read it out loud. Connecting people to God. Now that is not a shocking statement. Most people would expect the church to be doing that. But what I want you to hear from me today is how we want to help you 
do that. It's one thing just to say that because the assumption could be this. Oh, he wants to help us connect to God. So he's basically saying that's why we have to show up to church because that's how we connect to God. No, there's more to it than that. You're, 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 you're taking maybe a more traditional view. So number one, we want to make sure you understand the difference of why we're trying to connect you and what that looks like in your life. Number one, you'll hear this oftentimes, you'll hear me use the phrase, followers of Christ. You'll hear me say that over and over. Very few times do I say, how many want to be a Christian? Or how many are a Christian? Very rarely do I use that phrase. Not because I'm not Christian. But everybody, I've learned this, everybody's a Christian until it gets biblical. Said that last week. So what I would do is I want to show you the difference between a convert and a disciple. A convert is a person who makes an initial confession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's important. In fact, Hebrews 12.1 probably describes it best. They have begun to, quote, run, and notice some words are missing, run the race marked out for us. In other words, they've taken that, that pivot and had that introduction and that connection to Christ. But what I want you to see is this. We are not interested in just making converts. We're trying to make disciples. Disciples are people who are in a relational learning journey with Jesus. We call them followers of Christ. Why? Because it's a continual thing. And if you add the words back in that I omitted earlier from Hebrews 12.1, it says they are running with perseverance the race marked out for it. How many know there's a difference when the race goes into the perseverance mode? Come on. So January 1. You know what? I, I went out a little bit, drove around. You know what I saw on January 1? I saw more people walking and running than we normally do. And actually, I wasn't mocking. I was actually driving around the neighborhood. Good for you. Know, I, I didn't want to roll down the window, but I, I just, behind, you know, I was like, good for you, man. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go. And then January 2nd was Sunday, and I went in my neighborhood. Ain't nobody walking. Ain't nobody running. Well, you know what happened is everybody had this big initiative. You know, I'm going to do two miles. I'm going to do 10,000 steps. And then January 2nd rolled around morning, and man, the aches and the pains and the bustles. And you know what everybody said? I need, I need till noon to stretch out. And how many know noon rolled around and they still needed to stretch out? Well, I'll make sure I do it before dinner. And then dinner came and they still were tight. And so, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'll pick it up. To, you know, maybe every day is too much. I'm going to do every other. And they found out Monday morning they were still in pain. It's one thing to start. It is another thing to persevere. It's a different kind of, of connection. It's a different kind of initiative, intentionality, because that, that intentionality has to be, listen to me, greater than any discomfort associated with the commitment. Did you all catch that? The commitment, the perseverance sets in. There is, there's pain associated with the commitment. But the perseverance has to be greater than any pain that is associated with that commitment. So we're here to say this. We're here to make you followers. We're not about making a, just a bunch of converts and sending you on your way. No, we want to make you followers of Christ. That's ongoing. That's, on, that's le constantly learning, constantly developing. So how do we do that? Let me give you four things under this real quick. Number one, you'll hear us. There, well, 
Every time I preach, I have the Word up. When you go to these groups, they'll be talking about the Word. Why is, and when, when people start to attack the Bible, why do we hold steady? Why do we not waver with a culture that says, oh, there's a lot of errors, there's a lot of problems, and why do you find us steadfast? It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Everybody say God-breathed. And it tells us that it's useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and training in righteousness. Okay? Now, what's key to this is there's only one other time in the Bible where God breathed is, is in the Scripture, and it's, and it's crucial. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So I want you just to look at me a second. As I'm standing up here, and this is not meant to be a self-grandizing statement. It could be the same for you as well. But I'm just here. There are two things that you are looking at right here that are God-breathed. This and this. Is that what the scripture says? So look at the person next to you and go, you're God-breathed. Okay? You're God-breathed. So what happens is this. It's telling us that not only is there a physical nature, there is a spiritual nature. That's why God breathed. There's a spiritual nature in us. When I read this or I teach it, this is a fresh breath to this. Y'all got it? That's why, that's why Jesus said that, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Remember him saying that? That is a fresh breath to the spirit man here that needs a fresh breath. So it's always the word so that we stay fresh. Secondly, we, try to, we, we use our service actually not only to do prayer, but to teach prayer. Pastor uh, uh, Austin had that segment today, and sometimes it's Pastor Malik. And Why do we do this? Some people say, that's a really interesting approach that you guys do in the middle of service. I'm so used to the pastor preaching, and we all just stand there and wait for him to finish praying. Because most of the times, pastors aren't praying, they're preaching and just using prayer as a cover. Come on, you've been to those church services where that was happening, right? You're like, I don't think he prayed. I think he just preached. I think it was a warm-up. I think it was his introduction to what he's going to be preaching. Well, come on, can I get a witness there? So how do we balance? Indiv- we need to be praying individually. What should prayer look like when we come together, though? One person pray and everybody just sits and be quiet while they do whatever they're going to do? Let's go to the Scripture. In Acts chapter 4, verse 24, it says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Do you see, number one, they raised it together. What's key is this. The word that Luke used in writing the book of Acts, that word raised, is a medical term. And it means a muscle that has been strained to its max. So when it says they raised their voices, does that sound like it was a quiet, reflective moment? They raised their voices. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be quiet, contemplative uh, moments. But what I've learned is this. The church has a mastery over quietness when it comes to prayer. We all have master's degrees in that right now. What we struggle with is it's time to pray and everybody's like, 
you know. And it's, it's just like this. It's the same thing as when we sing. You're not trying to be a solo artist. You're just trying to sing. And if everybody sings, we're all good. Amen? In fact, some of us just sound better if everybody else will sing. Right? I mean, some of us like, I just sound a whole lot better when everybody's behind me. And it's the same way with prayer. We're not trying to compete. We're not trying to be louder than the guy next. Prayer shouldn't be a competition. I shouldn't be trying to be louder than the guy standing next to me, behind me, in front of me. But I should add my voice into prayer. And the other part is, you go into Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says they all joined together, look at it, constantly in prayer. Man, when they were together, prayer, vocal prayer was a part of their gathering. And by the way, I can take you to Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When it says that people on the street heard their languages being expressed in the upper, do you realize they were two stories up inside of a building and people on Main Street heard them praying? I just want you to pause. How loud do you have to be in a building on a second story in an enclosed uh, fixture and people on Main Street down below can hear you praying? Just exactly how loud would you have to be? I'm not saying let's be so loud that Highway 29 has a traffic stop. Because we're so, I'm not saying that, but I, what I want you to see is this. We have missed in the American church the ability that when we gather, that we are as free to pray as we are to sing. And people say, I just want to see God do things. Well, then you better pray. Pray brings the activity of God. So when, when, whether it be Pastor Malik or Pastor Austin or even myself, we say, let's pray. We're just saying, take a conversational tone. And lift your voice. There's times to be contemplative. But as I said, we've mastered that. You can go to a lot of places and they're quiet. We're saying that when we're together and we pray, we all pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Another way we help you to connect to God is through fasting. Should have received a card last week, maybe this week. We're asking you to take three, one day a week over the next three weeks to pray and fast. It's the abstinence from food so that you can use that time that you would have been eating to pray. Why would you do this? There's a lot of scriptures in fasting. I shared some of them last week. But here's one I want to point out. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, Daniel is fasting because he needs a breakthrough. And, and around verse 12 and 13, an angel shows up and he tells Daniel what is going on while he's been fasting. Notice this. He, the angel says this, Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But... The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there for, with the king of Persia. What I want you to know is this. There is activity that God has for your life that are being resisted in the heavenlies. Some of it is getting to you and some of it is not. You say, well, then what do I need to do? According to this, fast. I'll wait for the amens to die down. <laughs> Some of you say, well, I like my life the way it is. It's going fairly well. What if that's only half of what God has intended for you? What if 
30, 40, 50% of God's blessing on your life is being held up in the heavenlies. And God says that part only will be released if you fast and pray. Man, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I love my life. I love, I love, I, I love doing my, my life with my wife, my kids, my grand. I love, I love life right now, but I think, but what if there was a whole other dimension that God had and it was being held up in the heavenlies all because I didn't want to fast? Wow. I think I would like to know the other part of God's activity for my life. I think I would want to know the God's activity for So that's one of the dimensions of prayer and fasting is I praise God for what he's doing here at the bridge. What we're experiencing in the middle of this COVID is amazing. But what if this is only half of what God has intended? What if half of what God wants is being held up in the heavenlies? And that will only break through prayer and fasting. Wow. I don't know about you, but I, I just want to step into that challenge and go, look, God, I have no preconceived notions on what your blessings look like, but according to that scripture, there are things that are held, that are held back to your people hit their knees and pray and fast. What if that's the case in your family? And everybody said amen? The last part of this is called loving one another. We experience connecting to God through other people. And I'm going to just briefly touch on this because Pastor Lisa will be unpacking this next week. But the Bible says in John 13, 34, 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so that you must, so you must love one another. By this everyone. So this is not other followers of Christ only. This is people who aren't even followers of Christ. But that this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everybody read that last part. If you love one another. So there's one requirement in order for that to work. I've got to be in relationship with people. I can't love somebody I don't know. I can't love somebody if I don't know their name. I, they can't love me and I can't love them. So listen, that's a two-way street here. That's not, well, I'm going to sit back and see who reaches out to me. Oh, no. That's also who am I reaching out to. That's a two-way street. Love is a relationship. The other side of this is Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. How many can say amen to that? Free to go to heaven. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So oftentimes when I'm challenging people one-on-one, I'll say, so why do you think Jesus saved you? Ah, so I'd go to heaven. And what else? I'd go to heaven. For what else? So I could have fun in life. Okay? And what else? I don't know. What else is there, Pastor? Because he expects you to use your freedom to go serve other people. Use your freedom to go be somebody else's miracle. Everything you just said is true. Yes. Heaven, yes. Said he came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. Yep, you're right. Jesus wants you to, he wants to bless your life. Yeah, I agree with that. But the key component that we're missing is this. This is not all about me. It's what he wants to do through me. It's not just about being the recipient of his activity. It's about being a facilitator of his activity through me. 
And so I want to use my freedom not only to stay free from sin, I want to use my freedom to help others who are in bondage. But see, that's going to require relationship. And then the other part of this, you notice the word love? You see that? So let me just share this. When you love, generosity is a byproduct of loving. The reason people aren't generous is this. They don't love one another, and they don't love their church. They like people, and they like church. But they don't love people, and they don't love church. When you love, generosity is, a part of the, is just part of the deal. You know, my, when my wife's birthday comes up, you know, I... I don't say, well, what's the minimum gift I'm supposed to get her? I mean, what's, what's, what's the mandate? What's, what's, how many know I'm already going to be recommended for counseling? You go above and beyond with the people in your life that you love. And when I say generosity shows up in three categories, not one of them, but all three, your time, your talent, and your treasure. It's not what well, I'm going to give here. No, when you love, you, you give from all three. So you can tell what people love. See, if you love fishing, you go buy a boat. Why? Because you love to fish. And then because you love fishing and you love that boat, you go get yourself a truck. You love your truck because it pulls a boat that you love, because it puts you in water, that you, that, that you love those fish. Now listen to me, I'm not mocking that, and I'm not putting it down, and I'm not even saying that's a sin. Or a sin. I get it, we're good, okay? But I, what I want you to show you is this, we're generous with things that we love. And so a lot of times when churches struggle in this arena of life, of, of, of resources, it's because the people have backed off loving and they just like. Y'all with me? Love is my responsibility to cultivate in me. You have the responsibility to cultivate. And here's the thing. You know how you cultivate love? By initiating towards things. You can't love without taking some form of initiative. Man, when I saw my wife and I liked her and I wanted to fall in love with her, I asked her out on a date. She said no. So I tried again and 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 again. No kidding, folks. I kept in, I told her, I said, today I would be called a stalker. When you love, you take the initiative. When you're told no, you find another approach. You just keep working it. Amen? So I say that about connecting to God. You need to connect. Why? Because God will use those people to deliver his activity to you as well. Through Every miracle I've ever had given to me in my life came with two arms and two legs attached to it. God used somebody. Some of them knew what it needed, and some had no idea. They just said, I don't know what I'm saying. I just felt prompted of the Lord to say or to do this or to give to you or to help you. I don't know what's going on. I said, you have no idea that you are a godsend right now. All right, number two, read it out loud. Connecting to, 
connecting to the marketplace. This is another arena that sometimes people go, so how do you help us do that? Well, the basis of that is based in Matthew, and it says in chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it on a bowl, under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Does it say just the followers of Christ? It says everybody. In the same way, let your light shine before others. It doesn't say other followers. It includes them, but it's everybody, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God you glorify your Father in heaven. So here's the point. If we saddle you with so much church activity, you can't do that. Everybody with me? We understand that. So we say, no, we want you getting involved in the community. No, we want you getting in places and serving on boards and committees and teams and social agencies and doing things. We want you involved. Why? Because the Bible says we should let our light shine before men. That they would see our good deeds. Now, there's a, there's a notion out there that says, well, I don't want anybody to know that it came from me, so I'm going to do this anonymously and blah, blah, blah. Now, go, that's fine, but let me tell you the downside of that because of where our culture is. Remember I said sometimes you got to exegete Scripture, sometimes you got to exegete culture. Here's the problem with anonymity. Okay? Now, listen to me. We don't do good things to make ourselves famous. We do things to make him famous. Okay? But here's the struggle with anonymity when you do something good. People assign it to good luck or like winning the lottery. Those are the categories. Man, wasn't I lucky? And I want to go, eh, it wasn't luck. It was the Lord who spoke. But because nobody's there to tell them that, they assign it to luck. Or, man, was talk about being in the right place at the right time. Feel like my lucky number came up. No, it wasn't your lucky number. It was Jesus. So why is it important that our face be attached to doing good to people? Because of this. Eventually you're going to hear this from somebody. Why are you doing that for me? What's in it for you? Why do you care so much? Everybody else has abandoned me. Everybody else has told me no. Nobody wants to help. Everybody, but you, you, why do you keep coming around? Now, I'm here to tell you, that's a hanging curveball in baseball. If you can't hit that, find another sport. It's, when they serve that up, it's a real easy answer. Because you matter to me. Because you're looking at somebody who used to be you. And with what Jesus did in my life, let's just call it I'm paying it forward. He changed my life. I used to be you. Now, I'm here to tell you that's going to develop a conversation. It's important that people not just have good things happen to them. They need to know why good things happen to them. And why was it you and not somebody else? And it wasn't winning the lottery. And it wasn't luck. And it wasn't fate. It was God speaking to you. And you said, I want to help you. And they said, why? Because God laid you on my heart. I've been praying for you for 30 days. you got to be kidding me. No. I've been praying for you, man. You're a big deal to me. 
and I've been where you are, and I've gone through what you've gone through, or I had a relative who went through it, or I had a friend, and I don't, I want you to know that when you're ready to turn it around, I'm on your side. You see, we do good things, not because we're drawing attention to ourselves. We are drawing attention to the activity that God has in us. Everybody got it? This is not, it's not about, hey, you know, go, make sure you tell everybody what I, no, no, no. I want you to hear God's using me to talk to you. His activity wants to come your direction. You see, one of the challenges, though, is this. This is why we have to have the Holy Spirit, because The Bible tells us you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we read here is this. They needed power because they had a challenge in front of them because of everything that was unfolding. We sometimes look at Christianity and we take this scripture and we we take it in a way that applies to us today, and that's okay. But can I put you in the shoes of the people who heard that? They felt totally powerless in life. There was an occupying army. And if they wanted to do good, there's a lot of times they couldn't do it. They, had, they were more about living in fear of offending a Roman centurion or a Roman soldier or a politician. They were more in fear of doing something that might offend the wrong people and they would get in serious trouble than they were about doing good. And so when Jesus said you could have power, it addressed two things for them. Number one, they felt powerless to live a godly life because of the Roman occupation. And the second thing was this. What Jesus was asking them to do was above and beyond their ability to do it. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, you will do greater th- even more greater things than me. I don't know about you, but that's definitely a high bar. It would be a high bar if he just said, you're going to do half of what I had to, have to do. The fact that he said you'll do greater, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't, I, don't see, I, I, I don't see how that's possible. So, what I want you to notice about the Holy Spirit and the marketplace is this. I've done some series over the years here at the bridge, but again, for those who are new, let me summarize this so that you see Scripture differently. Of the 24 miracles that Jesus performed in the book of Luke, three were in the synagogue and 21 of his miracles were in the marketplace. Jesus didn't say, well then come see me tonight, I'm speaking in the synagogue, 7 p.m. Come early because it's going to be a packed house. And about halfway through, I'll start praying for the sick. It presented itself on the marketplace, and Jesus has said, let's do it now. By the way, the apostles picked up on this. In the book of of Acts, there's 28 miracles. Of those miracles, two were at the temple, and 26 were in the marketplace. The miraculous is not just designed. We sometimes think, well, I want to see the miraculous, got to go to church. No, I'm here to tell you, it's not go to church. The miraculous follows when you are the church. So that's why we want to connect you to the marketplace. Why? Because the miracles follow you. They, they follow you. It's who you are. So we have to get our mindset that somehow the Holy Spirit is a church service oriented thing. No, it's the lifestyle that goes with us into the marketplace. 
Can I tell you something? that I'm asking you to please lose this next statement. And I'm going to tell you what you need to change it to. Oftentimes we're in the marketplace and people may find out who we are. And they'll, they'll say, they'll, they'll find out, hey, like me, they'll find out I'm a pastor. Hey, you know, I'd really appreciate it. You know, I got such a, they'll tell me the situation. And I'd appreciate it if you pray for me. The normal response is to say, I'll be praying for you. Don't say that. Say, can I pray for you right now? After they go, what? <laughs> no, seriously, man. I mean, you know, we can step off the side. I'm not going to, you know, lay my hand on you. Oh, God, I'm not going to try to draw a crowd here. I'm just, just can, I, can I, like, pray for you right now? I've had people cry, and I haven't even said a word yet. And I'm not saying that it's pointed at me. What I want you to recognize is this. When, when I have said, can I pray for you right now? And they go, yes, and the tears start. Jesus just walked in. Because Jesus wants to be famous in the marketplace. And, th- and listen to me, they felt him show up. They felt him show up. Best thing you co-workers... Friends, relatives, no matter what the situation is. Man, I got this going on. My kid, my wife, my husband, my job, my health, this, that. And when they're telling you face to face, listen, if it needs to be an announcement, they can do that on Facebook or text you. But if they're right there in front of you, say, man, can we just pray right now? I mean, we can step off to the side here. I would never do anything to... Make this a weird moment and draw unwanted attention. I'm not going to be go crazy. But I want you to know that I take serious enough that what you just said, I'll pray for you right now. Right here. I can't tell you how many times, places I've been, because here's the thing. Most of the miraculous shows up unexpected. It was never an appointment on the calendar. Oh, excuse me, 2 o'clock. Going to be raising the dead. Three o'clock, we have a man who has an infirmed leg and it's going to be healed. There was a lady in our church a while back. She, I had touched on this a while back. And one of the things, one of her coworkers had gotten injured. She was in a lot of pain. And of course, the people who were there were doing what they could to work the situation and to try to help. And there was, as they did their some preliminary things, there was kind of a lull. In, in, the, in the context of the injury. And so this lady from our church was sitting with this other woman as arrangements were being made. You know, and it was the typical thing that you would say to somebody who's injured, you know, hey, it's going to be all right. Everybody, they're, they're getting the necessary medical people. We're going to be okay. You're all right, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she just said, I just said, can I pray for you right now? And the woman looked up and said, please, please. And she prayed for her. Even though she was injured, the pain disappeared. Totally. And, and her injury was still there, but there, it's just, and she looked at her and said, what did you just do? Are you one of those acupuncture people? Are you one of those hypnosis? What, what did you actually just do? My pain, I'm still injured, but I don't have pain. What, did, did you slip me something? Started this whole, and she just said, no, I just, I just prayed for Jesus to be merciful to you right now. And I asked Jesus to do something. And if, 
if alleviating the pain for you right now is his answer, then that's what he's decided. You're still going to have to go get some help for the injury, but that lady has now opened a tremendous dialogue about what did you do? How did that work? Where did, where, where did you even get the bull? There's a relationship that has been built. I would love to tell you she's accepted Christ, but here's the key point that's going on. I know that lady's going to accept Jesus, but she just wants to know what is she stepping into. She's still trying to process this whole, how did, where did that pain suddenly go? And how did you do that? And she's thinking from a secular mindset. And that's going to take some time as these things are being explained. But can I tell you that? Some of the most miraculous things that happened, happened suddenly. It wasn't on the calendar. It just showed up. It happens to me. I was in a particular context and it was, it was an athletic competition and some things that we were doing. And as I was headed to the parking lot, one of the ladies came up to me. She said, you're the pastor of the bridge, aren't you? I said, yeah, I, I am. I said, who are you? And she said, well, you know, I said, I've seen you. And she goes, well, she said, I would appreciate it if you'd pray for me and my husband. I said, oh, really? She goes, yeah, we've been trying to have a baby for so long. And I got pregnant and I lost it last week. She said, it's killing us. Normal response would be, I'll be praying for you guys. No, that's not what I said. I said, look, we're in a parking lot. People are around. I never want to do anything awkward. Can I pray for you right here? Absolutely. I said, what's your husband's name? She told me. I prayed for her in that parking lot. She sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I don't know where all that's going in her life, and it would be inappropriate for me for, to go beyond that conversation here. That was not on my calendar. I was hot. I was sweaty. I just wanted to go home and get a shower. And God said, slow down. I got somebody who's just had a serious... Let me, let me give you a prophecy. Some of you are going to have a coworker unload on you this week. Some of you are going to have a friend who's going to unload on you this week. A tragedy, the hurts, the pains, the suffering of life. You're going to have a relative. You're going to, somebody's going to dump on you, and you're not going to see, they were not on the calendar. It wasn't scheduled. Can I call you? Can we make an appointment so I can pour my? They're just going to spill it all out suddenly. Let me give you something that you need to do. Do not say, I'll be praying for you. You need to say, can we pray right now? Invite Jesus into that moment. And I will tell you, by simply saying, let me pray for you now, you watch the response of the person as they feel Jesus step in. Because Jesus loves to do his stuff in the marketplace. Because it's one of the ways that he can say, I'm God not these other gods. The difference between him and those other gods, he shows up. They don't. Be somebody's miracle. And everybody said amen. Amen. Listen, I am way over. Can you tell I had a lot to go? But you kept interrupting me today. We need 
the Holy Spirit. Because we all gonna run, we're all going to run into something that says, this is bigger than me. I can't heal, I can't deliver, I can't save, I can't give hope, but I got a Jesus who can. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. Would you do that? And I want you just to lift your hands for about 30 to 45 seconds. And I want you to praise him for being the God who wants to use you to be somebody else's miracle this week. Come on, give him praise right now. See, this is a time. Everybody open your mouth. Everybody. Say, thank you, God, and I receive what the pastor has said today, that Jesus, you're going to use me this week. You're going to bring divine appointments that aren't on my calendar. And I, you know what, God? I'm ready. I'm ready. I just need you to show up when I bring your name into the conversation.